You are listening to Mommying While Muslim Podcast, where hosts Uzma and Zeba share their personal stories of mommying in a post-9-11 world. This podcast is designed with the Muslim American mom in mind, so grab a cup of coffee and pull up to their table. Assalamualaikum, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Mommying While Muslim Podcast. This is Uzma Jafri. And this is Zeba Hassan. Assalamu alaikum. I, I've definitely noticed, Uzma, my love, you have upped your hijab game, looking so pretty and bright today. How's how's yeah, we the? We can do so much when they're unpacked. I, I was going to say, like, how is the unpacking going? Your sister coming to help you out? Like, you must be having a really good week this week. I really am. We're having a lot of girl time, a lot of late nights with mom and my sister because my mom came over too because my sister and her kids are here. And it was my mom's birthday. She did not tell me how old she was and obviously listens to our podcast. So she said, I'm not allowed to broadcast it. But we did have, you <laughs> she's know, 25. The with the grandkid. Yeah, she's 25. So <laughs> I'm an infant still. We know this. Uh, so we had her birthday yesterday with all the grandkids and just staying up late at night, you know, talking to mom, talking with aunts and cousins. Like it's a girl party every night. So it's pretty fun. Once the kids are down to bed, it's a lot of fun. So how was your week this week? So, you know, we are still getting the hang of the whole homeschooling, virtual schooling, everybody at home schooling, my husband working from six to 10 schooling and me just trying to map it all out. Um, the reality <laughs> is, you know, we're doing the best that we can. Uh, it, it, I have to say, maybe I was a teacher in another life because I love doing it with my kids. And when you see like that, you can literally see that aha moment when something makes sense and you're just like, I'm actually speaking their language. And I do feel like I was so worried about it. You remember I was going back and forth, had to relearn fifth grade math. I'm not going to pretend like that's not true, but because I understand how they work and how they function because I'm their mother, I feel like they're, they're learning more. Not that I don't love all my teachers and my, my teacher friends because they do the best that they can, but there is something to be said for that one-on-one -on -one instruction with your kid. The reality, though, is I'm also in school and having to do my stuff <laughs> in between. But you know what? It's all blessing and all upside, and that's how I'm going to choose to look at it and Inshallah. But the one thing I keep hearing, and I kind of texted you this morning, is what the heck is this cuties business? And what the heck is going on? Because Uzma is my go-to person to find out all of this type of information. So I'm hoping it's on our soapbox today because I need to be schooled on what the issue is. So Uzma, what is our soapbox yeah. today? Our soapbox today is about cuties. So um, Netflix came or has this new show on that's been uh, directed by Memuna Dukure. She is a Senegalese French Muslim woman. She is black and she directed this movie that won at Sundance. And it's basically about how, um, I believe it's an, I have not watched it, full disclosure, okay? And not because of politics or any kind of moral or conscientious objection. I just don't have time. And there's kids in my house and I don't, uh, a bunch of them, and I don't really want to watch that around them. I have to look at it first before I let them see. But apparently the story goes that um, it talks about an immigrant uh, girl that goes to some European country and gets into the whole dance movement um, because it's something that's very highly promoted by the West. 
um, Western influences say that little girls should dance and wear suggestive clothes. And it's all like, you know, part of their uh, creative expression and freedom and womanhood and girl power. And she talks about how easy it is to get sexualized and then to get victimized by uh, pornographic influences that are out there in the world. And the director herself, um, she actually had a live with Hannah Saberi last night. I missed it, unfortunately. So this is all completely organic. This is straight Osma Joffrey. But her um, interviews that she's given in the past are that nudity and all of this Western dance culture and stuff is um, a form of oppression. And that's what she was trying to do. Well, unfortunately, she aligned with Netflix, who cares about ratings, right? Mm-hmm. So they put out this very suggestive poster, very hypersexualized little girls of different colors diverse little girls but when like TLC or Bravo or whatever TV show had like toddlers and tiaras running with those same suggestive pictures of little white babies dressed up and hypersexualized and when they had pictures of little white girls in their tiny little two-piece dance costumes those shows ran for seven eight years without any kind of outcry but then you put a black Muslim woman in charge and in power creating something that is a commentary on the ills of western influence on all of these other cultures on itself first of all for making pornography available distributable globally and affecting these other countries and then um to hypersexualize youth and then market it this film is supposed to be a commentary and critique on that And yes, there are some scenes that are pretty graphic to show what happens. And major Muslim American scholars have come out against the film. I believe it's because there is this very patriarchal, very, and it's people I respect. I I humbly, in in my humble opinion, I do do think they should probably either watch it or talk to the director. Um, But to unequivocally say that this is wrong and this is pornographic and how could a Muslim woman do this to 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 you know it's just the same old story that I know better than a woman you know but this is from a female perspective from a mother's perspective so it's going to look different than what you see which was this Netflix poster and Netflix has since apologized for this poster because it was hypersexualized they put the real picture that she wanted and created of her movie that was at Sundance and did so well and now you know well now no everybody wants to watch it because I I truly believe Netflix did it on purpose um, and again it's another way of how western media screws people of color and people who are different and minorities. So, you know, now she's got death threats coming from non-Muslims and Muslims. Mm -hmm. So here's the thing. When you have a certain political party or a certain political movement that's picked up its torches and it's coming after somebody or something, that thing is probably right. And I'm talking about those really diehard pro-lifers, pro-you-know-whaters, red hatters. They hate this movie and they haven't even watched it. And they're the ones that have like 17 different petitions against it. And I'm like, as soon as I saw that, I was like, "Mm, I'm probably going to watch it eventually. (laughs) But I'm like, I know there's probably some benefit in this. And, you know, that's our soapbox for today. Do not write something off, especially when it's coming from the mouth of a black woman or a person of color, female, um, a minority. Because remember, if we start oppressing them, I mean, we're in it with the rest of everybody. And then the pitchforks are going to come after us. That's exactly what happened after 9-11, guys. So uh, my soapbox is I have not watched Cuties, but I'm going to watch Cuties because I'm going to support a black Muslim mom 
always. Wow. That's it. You're right. <laughs> Never judge a book by its cover. So perhaps it is worth looking into and for us to kind of make, maybe that we can do that on a chai chat another day, like talk about what our, what the actuality is after watching it versus what our preconceived notions were. And um, again, I'm reserving judgment because I haven't seen it and I don't know enough about it, but thank you so much for that uh, soapbox for today. Uh, But you know, we're still in our series of amazing female Muslim scholarship. So to talk about strong Muslim voices, the fact that we at Mommy One Muslim really want to support some of these female scholars. And the funny thing is, like a lot of other females, guess what? We don't want to take that title, but they are amazing women and learned in their own right. And the reality of the situation is we are going to call them the leaders of our soul because I love it when another female can talk to me about what it is that I need to to, to learn and to grow as a person and in my spirituality. Um, so I am going to introduce our next guest because the reality is, I don't know about you, Uzma, is that, you know, I have had a hard time getting connected with the Quran for, for what it is during the pandemic. It's just been really hard to kind of like delve in. And, and to be honest with you, it was a little bit before, you know, and I should have used this opportunity as a way to really delve into more of that Quranic understanding and learning. So it's such a blessing for us today that we have Dr. Sadia Mia, um, who joins us, and it's going to talk about the Quran and our role of our day to day. She happens to be a full time endocrinologist. Get this during medical school. During everybody, she went to Syria <laughs> to study Arabic and Quran and to and to learn the sacred knowledge of it. She memorized the Quran, and after medical school, medical school, she helped launch the Rabat Quran program that you actually heard earlier about this month. And she teaches Tajweed or Quranic pronunciation. She probably wants to teach me right now as I'm even pronouncing these words. But she has a book out called The Crowning Venture. It's her first book talking about the journeys of several Muslim women, many of them that are literally moms like ourselves with multiple roles and multiple things that we have to juggle that have completed their chronic memorization and what it takes to do that and why it is important for us to even contemplate doing that. So thank you so much, Dr. Mia, for joining us today. Thank you so much. Assalamualaikum. I'm so happy to be here. Assalamualaikum. It's so good to have you on here. Uh, well, we talk a little bit about your family background, um, a little bit about yourself first. Okay. So as you mentioned, I am an endocrinologist, hormone doctor. I live in Michigan where I've lived most of my life. I work in Dearborn. I am on the board of Rabatla and I just recently, alhamdulillah, graduated with the teaching certificate from Rabat. Uh, so I've, I've been very busy with um, learning and teaching. You know, I t- also teach for the Rabat program, um, and, it, and it's a wonderful uh, opportunity for women to be able to learn from women. That's what Anse Tamara was talking about mm-hmm. last week when she said, you know, like women learn best around other women and what Robata brings as an opportunity for us. So that's really amazing. Um, can you talk? We usually ask um, our guests to talk a little bit about their mom's story, but you can talk about your mom and her role in your education and the endeavors that you've undertaken. Okay, great. That's a wonderful topic because, of course, I love my mom. She is amazing. Mashallah, she 
was very, um, she's very much stressed the importance of education for my sisters and I. That was important for her to not only for us to get a secular education um, and, and pursue that from the bottom of our hearts, but when it came time for me to decide to make that decision to go to Syria and learn Arabic and Quran and the other Quranic sciences at a time when a lot of women were not doing that, a lot of women were not traveling abroad, she, she also supported that, mashallah. The thing was at that time, we didn't have internet like we have now. This was back in 1998, the first time that I went to Syria. So that was the one of the only ways to have access to scholarship, scholarship like that. Um, and so it really set the stage for me, you know, to have this amazing mother who valued knowledge and especially valuing Islamic knowledge, you know, religious knowledge, believing that this is something that her daughter should should pursue. When I went there, it it was just very easy for me to just, uh, you know, fall in step with, you know, learning from these women, learning from women scholars, and really taking um, advantage of this opportunity. That's amazing. The question I wanted to ask you is, were you there at the same time that Anse Tamara Gray was there? Did you guys overlap at all, timing-wise? Yes, yeah, so that's exactly where my story started. When I went, I went initially for three weeks, thinking I was going just to learn Arabic. I ended up, within a few days of getting there, meeting Ansi Tamra. She listened to some of us recite Qur'an and Tajweed. She listened to our Qur'anic recitation. When she listened to mine, she told me, well, if you can extend your trip, you could get a certificate to teach Qur'an. So when I went, I was like, oh, I'm going to learn Arabic. And literally, I had a ticket to come back in three weeks. Um, but once I got there, I felt comfortable. I I called home, asked if I could extend my trip. I had you know I had the summer off before I was going to be starting medical school, and I extended it to four and a half months. I ended up working on Quran the whole time, pretty much focusing on that. I got my ijaza to teach Quran four days before I came back, and then when I got back, four days after I got back, I started medical school. That's crazy funny because I don't remember having time in medical school to do anything except studying like science. So because it's not just like memorizing Quran that you that's the hard part, right? It's the revision. Right. And that is always a struggle. It's something that I found that going through one the first time was quite I didn't find it too difficult, especially because I was in that atmosphere. That's what I was focusing on. It is more of a challenge to make it a part of your everyday life when you're doing so many other things like working full time. But that's part of the journey is realizing that it's something that we get to make a part of our everyday life and and we get to you know even if it's a small amount every day but spend that time with the Quran. I even tell people if you're really struggling start at 5 minutes you know, start at five minutes a day, but do it consistently and just wait and see what doors are going to open. Slowly, the more you end up spending time with it, you're going to want to spend more time with it and 
that's going to increase. It's going to go to 10 minutes. And maybe you're not going to be able to do hours a day, you know, like I did when I was in, in Syria. I know that's, that's something I dream of, but I know I can't do that. So the person that I'm reciting to now, because of course we always need to be reviewing, told me, pick something you'll stick to. Just do 20 minutes a day. <laughs> So it's like anything in life, anything that's important to us, we can either put it off and tell ourselves we don't have time, or we can find a way to start somewhere. And starting is the hardest thing. Once you've started something, um, it's always easier after that. And it's all about habit formation. You know, I talk about a lot of that in my workshop that I just did recently called, uh, called the Crowning Venture Workshop about Quran memorization. I go through so many tips just on how to form habits before I even get into the nitty-gritty of how to act, actually memorize Quran. I attended that workshop actually and I really appreciated some of the tips that were in there to memorize. Um, but I think they can be, you know, a lot of people hesitate when we say memorize Quran, especially moms, because it's like, oh, one more thing. I can't do one more thing right now, especially right now, right? Mm -hmm. With um, school and, and work and all of that stuff. But um, I think those tips would be useful in just reading Quran too. Could you share just maybe a couple of gems from those tips that you gave us on Sunday? Yeah. So, um, and that's a good point that you brought up because ultimately when we start out and we talk about memorizing Quran, yes, it is Mount Everest. <laughs> that's what it seems like. I always recommend to people start out with the most important thing, which is learning how to recite the Quran properly. That is something that every Muslim should be able to do. And that's something that, you know, of course, if you have access to a teacher, and I mentioned in the workshop that nowadays with the internet, we don't really have any excuse because we can find teachers all over the world. And so the first step, I would say, take things step by step. When, once you, you know, start with the dweeb and you spend all that time working on that, just, I like to see things go organically. You know, for me, it was very organic. I didn't go to Syria thinking, oh, I'm going to memorize Quran. I went, oh, I'm learning Arabic. That's, that was completely, I mean, it's part of the journey too. It's absolutely part of the journey. But you, then after that, okay, I got my ijazah in tajweed, not thinking, oh, I'm going to memorize. But after I completed that, it was the process that was important because spending so much time on each letter, spending so much time reciting and reciting out loud made me develop an attachment and a love for the Quran that just made, made it easy to take the next step. It's not something I had to think about. And I would also urge for, even for children, um, now there's, you know, different points of view. Um, you know, for some, some people believe that young, young, very young children, I'm talking you know, where they, they, they can't even read yet, that just have them memorized by repeating after you. And that's one stage. That's important. They can learn the small suras like that. But when it comes to children, the important thing is to make sure that it's a journey that's, that when they're young, make it fun, you know, whatever it takes to make it fun for them when they're very, very young. So they develop this love for the Quran. Because the worst thing that could happen is that they're forced to do something that they're not even into yet. It, you know, it's like going from zero to a hundred. Um, instead of taking it step by step, let's have this child develop love for the Quran somehow, whatever it is, whether it means they're going to get together with friends and there's going to be, 
um, you know, a party and they're, you know, they're going to do some kind of um, go over some of the suras together or whatever it is that makes it makes it enjoyable for them. And as they grow, um, as they grow up, then hopefully they develop that love and attachment themselves, you know, because there is this barakah that comes from reciting the Qur'an. So it's, um, you know, that's one thing is just realize that the journey, don't, don't get scared by this, this whole, like, you know, oh, I have to memorize the entire Qur'an. It's all a part of the journey, learning the tajweed, learning Arabic, learning tafsir, uh, understanding what it is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling us. Just ha the most important thing is a relationship with the Qur'an, um, whether it's children or adults. And then from there, um, you know, other tips that I that are important, number one, intention, you know, for, especially as adults, you know, for our intention to be very clear um, why we're doing this. We're doing it for the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We're doing it be because this is these are His words. Um, you know, obviously finding a teacher is this, the second thing I tell people, learning tajweed. And then just, I think from there, it's a matter of staying consistent. That's n the number four piece of advice I would give. It's finding whatever it takes just to be consistent. Make it a daily part of your life and um, see where things go from there. That's uh, that's really great because I do think that if you do things in little bits and consistently, you develop these habits and then all of a sudden your your day feels empty when you don't do it. The one question I have for you is obviously I have my mother is a convert and she is in the process of learning the Arabic and it's so cute because she had the same chronic teacher as my younger two. So it was fun that she was really attempting to learn. But in the meantime, she was really um, reading the Quran in English. How do you feel about that for people that are just like, okay, Arabic, I, I haven't learned it. I'm coming into Islam a little bit later in life. I'm in the process of learning it. But in the meantime, I'm going to read the translation. But so I have a two-part question. One, how do you feel about that? And two, do you have an English translation Quran that you found in your experience um, is a better fit um, for those newer Muslims? That's a great question. I absolutely believe for example, in your mom's situation, it's beautiful that she's reading the English. Um, and although I believe that it is important to learn the Arab, learn how to recite in Arabic, even if we don't understand it, you know, even if we're not to the point where we're fluent in Arabic, that is important because there's a special baraka or blessing that comes from reciting in Arabic. Um, that it's not the same in English. However, it is still very important to understand the Quran. So absolutely, it's important to read a translation. In fact, when I was memorizing, I used to, you know, look at a translation of each page before I would start. And sometimes with pencil, lightly, I would put the um, translation in there, you know, for the first few words of each ayah so that I could, um, it could help me in the memorization. As my Arabic got better, I didn't really rely on that anymore. But you know, it goes to show two things. Number one, I started memorizing even before I knew, understood Arabic. Um, memorizing the Quran actually helped me with Arabic. So now when I study Arabic, it helps me because I can go back and look at the most beautiful example of grammar there is on this planet. There's nothing more beautiful than, than the Quranic Arabic. You know, it's the epitome. And um, so it's, it's like each way helps each other. Um, and at the same time, um, 
you know, again, I am very much about not beating ourselves up because we just don't think that we have gotten that we're where we need to be or, you know, I'm behind comparing ourselves to other, other people is, it's not helpful. You know, in, in our journey, that's one thing that I really stress is where you are, just keep on going. So, you know, your mom is, is reading the English, that's beautiful. If she has the opportunity to also learn Arabic, even if it means learning a few surahs, um, that, that's beautiful. So, so far what I hear is consistency, comparison, as in don't do it. Um, and then, so these are, I think, things for ourselves. But, you know, obviously as moms, we're always looking for a way to incorporate it in our kids' lives. We feel the pressure a lot of times of getting our kids into Quranic study. What can we do better in terms of that? I mean, you know, we're supposed to compete in good deeds, right? This is a major good deed. So how do we uh, reconcile that not doing the grass is greener thing, but also competing to do good deeds, mm -hmm. like memorizing Quran for our kids? So I, a caveat to like, don't compare is healthy competition. And I stress the healthy part can actually be a good thing. It can be a catalyst to do more. Um, it actually helps me. I'm a competitive person. I love having people around me that are doing more than me because I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, you know, um, it gets me going. Um, now, when it comes to um, the children issue, before we talk about, you know, competition um, with children, but what you mentioned as far as a lot of women kind of forgetting their own journey and focusing on their children, um, as part of the book, I actually did some interviews of women who helped their children memorize. And there was going to be a whole another part that was going to be about children and, and the moms who help them or the teachers who help them. The reason I say moms is most of the time I've seen that it ends up being the moms who end up driving their child to the masjid back and forth and um, putting in that time. And of course, there are probably some dads who do it. But, you know, for the sake of this book, it's looking at, at, at the women, um, is that now we actually decided, my editors decided to take that part out and make that a second book so that the first book was just focusing on women because, because of that reason, that for women to realize that their journey is not over just because they have kids. There's women in there who had four kids um, and started memorizing close to 40 years old. Um, one lady was above 60 years old when she started. Um, so all those stories are in there. And to really, that was part of my purpose in doing interviews of different women was that when I shared my story in the book, I realized not everyone's going to be able to go to Syria. Not everyone is going to have the exact same journey that I had, but there's so many women who have had other journeys. And um, I wanted to share those so everybody could resonate with one of them. And so that's one thing is it's not over for women. You know, it's, it's beautiful to have, you know, if your children do it, um, but you know, do it alongside with them. And even if it's just literally, I'm, I'm saying like 10 minutes a day, if you can devote that time, one of the main tips I also give is do it right after Fajr. Um, be, you know, do it in the morning time when, you know, there's time to, uh, time to yourself, you know, the family's not awake, 
it's tied to something. So, you know, there's this thing called habit stacking from um, Atomic, a book called Atomic Habits, where there's something you do anyways, so tie other habits to it so that it, it becomes something, you can become more consistent with it. Um, so, yeah, I, and as far as the next generation, there's so many more opportunities for learning that I don't, I mean, I think that we are in such a place right now that the internet has provided opportunities that are, that didn't, did not exist before. You know, this, this whole, the whole robot certificate, the whole program is online and we have teachers from all over the world. We have students all over the world. Um, so the world has like shrunken. Um, so all these opportunities are there and I see a, a tide of Muslim women scholars um, that's going to increase. And even even nowadays, um, when I compare it to when I first went to Syria and I made this decision to memorize the Quran, the when I came back, I mean, I felt, now, when I was in Syria, I saw hundreds of women doing it, girls, women of all ages. Um, and when I came back, I felt very alone because I wasn't, I wasn't surrounded by that anymore. And um, it was... Even my friends who, you know, even the people that I was with that we were doing it together, there was a lot of like, oh, we're not going to talk about it with each other because of this like modesty or like, you know, humility of like, okay, this is where I've reached. Um, and so it was, it was kind of a lonely um, time. And I even had some pushback, um, not pushback, but I remember one time a very good friend of our family's, an auntie. Um, who was visiting from out of town and her sons had all memorized the Quran. She, um, her daughters had not, but you know, when I came down and I was so happy to see her and this was like shortly after I had come back and, and memor had, having memorized and I thought she was going to be happy. And instead she was like, you know, Bete, um, you know, girls shouldn't memorize the Quran because when they grow up, they're going to have too much housework and you know, they won't be able to review. Oh and um, I oh like literally imagined a balloon just being popped. <laughs> And um, so, um, but you know, the things have changed so much that, you know, I recently, um, last year, this, the same auntie came and visited us and she was proudly telling me how not only her granddaughters, but her great granddaughters, all of them had either memorized the Quran or were in the journey somewhere. And so with, I, I feel like times have changed and I see so many more girls memorizing Quran now here in the U.S., um, and, and that's really beautiful. So I, I think with time and more opportunities, um, you know, I think things are shifting where there is a place now for, for female scholarship. And not only that, but opportunities for, for the daughters. As moms, like I'm, this is really resonating with me, especially the whole part of our daughters, because like you growing up, as a child of the 80s, I saw the hifs or memorization of the Quran pushed on the sons. The fact that it was something, you know, I was interested in was not, you know, there's no place for me to go in the United States. And going to Syria, it was like unheard of. Like I couldn't go down the street. Hello. So that's like, like I'd love to hear that conversation day. with your parents. Hi, I'm going to go to Syria. Yeah, no, that's not I'm happening. Like, yeah, let's master getting to the bus stop, you know? So, um, now we've been talking, kind of alluding to the crowning venture. Dr. Sadia, can you tell the audience why the title is the title? 
so that maybe somebody will get inspired to say, oh, I need to do this for myself as much as I need to do this for my kids. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so the title, um, the inspiration for it was twofold. Number one, there's a beautiful hadith about how the person who memorizes the Quran gives it, crowns their parents on the day of judgment, you know, in the hereafter, their parents are crowned. Um, that was one big part of the title. The other part was when I was in Syria, anytime like a girl or a woman had completed either her, you know, ijazah and tajweed or, um, you know, had gotten her ijazah in memorization, there would be a huge party, like a huge celebration, tons of food and um, singing and dancing. And that, you know, at these parties, the, the person who completed the Quran, um, she would be wearing these white robes and there would be a crown on her head. Um, so that was the, the second part, sort of the visual of just um, the way it was, uh, you know, the way we should be celebrating the Quran. Uh, you know, we celebrate so many things. We celebrate graduations. We celebrate weddings and, and baby showers. And we go all out. But when somebody memorizes the Quran, that should be the biggest celebration of all. <laughs> you know, I mean, or at least equal to. I mean, this is something that is um, for this dunya and for the akhira. I mean, of course, I mean, all those things are also, you know, for both the, the dunya and the akhira. And they're beautiful things. Of course, we should celebrate all of those things. But... You know, somehow we tend to, to not only not celebrate as much as we should, but almost downplay it, maybe, you know, hide it. I, when I interviewed people for my book, the women, a lot of them said they didn't even want people to know that they had memorized the Quran. They kept it secret wow. because they didn't want to be labeled. They didn't want people to think that, oh, she's a goody two-shoes. Um, they didn't want people to think, um, that she's, thinks she's too good for us now. So there's all of these things that, um, you know, we tend to not celebrate, um, when it comes to the Quran. Um, and when it's, I, I'm not sure if the same, um, situation exists with, um, men and boys who do it, but I, I have seen how when, you know, boys do it, it's always from then on, like, you know, the, there's the license plate, like, you know, Hafiz, you know, Ahmed mm -hmm. or whatever, you know. <laughs> I totally hear you. Like, women do not get the oomph oomph that the guys do. A boy memorize one juz and there's like a huge party, a girl, you know. Oh, well, she's going to forget it anyway when she, I don't think that part has gone away. Mm -hmm that, uh, oh, a girl is going to grow up and it's going to come to nothing. What do you mean it's going to come to nothing? She's going to have it now to teach her children. I don't understand why that's not celebrated. I don't know why that's not expected. Um, and I don't know where that's coming from. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, I have no clue. Yeah, I mean, and well, if, I, if, it, if, it, if it were me, I would walk around with a crown on my head all the time okay because that's how I'm it should be exactly that's how it should be the one thing i really want to say because we're, we're focusing on the kids and the daughters and of course i want to do that but the one thing i want to point out to the mothers that have like yourself thought you know i have thought about it i was discouraged because we were definitely part of a generation where 
that happened. That was one of the negativity. Um, you know, we're of a certain age, and that was something that happened. Um, we weren't necessarily as promoted or supported as maybe our male counterparts. But the one thing I'd love to remind people, and a lot of the moms that come to me even now, is the Prophet Wasallam did not become a prophet till he was in his 40s. And you see what I'm saying? So like, why would we stop ourselves from doing and achieving everything that we can? Because age is just a number. And if a, a, a being can start a movement in his 40s, what can moms do, you know, in our 40s? So let's get this done. And now to your point, Dr. Mia, like with the internet and with the Robota Institute, when the world is so much smaller and we can fit these moments in our day, why can't it be for the mothers now too? So that's my mini soapbox and I'm going to leave it there. Yeah, I'm glad you said that because, um, you know, the conversation did go to um, children and then women, you know, okay, you can help your children. Then if you know the Quran, you can help them. But that, it's not only about that. It's about her own journey, her own relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to have the Quran in her heart to, um, you know, I, in, through my studies in Rabat, every time I take a class and there's a mention of an ayah, it's beautiful because I know what she, what the teacher is talking about. Um, it's, it's helping me in studying the Quran it's one of the main reasons that we also memorize is to recite it in our prayer. And we're all praying. Everybody's praying. So, and that has nothing to do with um, when it comes to the children bit, even though, yes, imagine it is beautiful to have that and to be able to, you know, share that with your children and, and guide them. But regardless, um, it's, it's a huge deal for each, each individual, what they do with the Quran, because when it comes time that when we are standing before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, each person is going to be by themselves. So, Dr. Sadia, can you tell us um, some of the offerings that are coming up? We've heard an allusion to a part two to Crowning Venture, so I'm super excited about that. But are there any other classes or workshops that are coming up to kind of help moms on their own individual journeys toward um, getting closer to the Quran? Yeah, so um, I teach the uh, Crowning Venture memorization class. It's for the people who are memorizing and also reading through the Quran the first time through in Tajweed. Um, I teach that class for Rabat. Rabat has an amazing Tajweed program. It starts from the very basics. So if somebody doesn't know how to, doesn't even know the letters, um, there's a class for you. And there's a class it takes you through step by step, which is beautiful because it takes the guesswork out of it until you get to that point. Then, inshallah, there's, there's so many people now who are in the stage where they've started memorizing. Again, and, you know, that just shows it's a step by step process. Um, there's, I'm also, so I have the Crowning Venture Planner coming out very soon, inshallah, um, as well as, um, inshallah next year, inshallah, uh, part two of the Crowning Venture, um, will be, uh, is in the works. And, um, I have, I'm always doing exciting things. I do hold, hope to hold another workshop in the future. However, this workshop will be available. The recording will be available to purchase, um, and it'll be like sort of going through modules on your own. Um, and as soon as that's up, it will be posted in my Instagram, Sadia Mia MD. Honestly, I read the Crowning Venture because I I thought, unfortunately, that it was too late for me. And so I was looking for an inspiration on what can I do at this age? And, 
you know, as Zeba beautifully mentioned, the Prophet ﷺ did not attain prophethood until he was 40. So why am I, why am I cheating myself out of this opportunity? You know, and it just, all those stories were so inspiring to me, like regular women, extraordinary, well, they're not regular, they're extraordinary because they took their ordinary lives and like upped their game by saying, okay, on top of everything else I do, they took advantage of those blessed hours in the morning. They took advantage of those hours at the night after the kids were uh, gone to bed and they did what they needed to do for themselves, you know, to be able to wear that crown and to you give it to their parents too. But I I just thought it was super inspirational and I'm so glad um, for this opportunity to talk to you and we're gonna be looking out for what's coming up next on your website. So Jazakallah Khair for coming today. Wiyaki, uh, thank you so much for having me, both of you. Um, you know, I just pray that for me, just for everybody to have some kind of relationship with the Qur'an is, uh, that, that that's what makes me happy. You know, if somebody hears something that I share and it gets them motivated about the Qur'an, that's my vision. That's my goal. So I think you've, you've definitely inspired both of us. I can't speak for Zeba, but I'm sure she's nodding. So yeah. you've inspired both of us, um, our daughters, because my daughter thought this was a princess book. So she picked it up. Um, her name is Rania. <laughs> so, um, yeah, she's my little queen. So she thinks it's a princess book and she's been reading it and having some difficulty. So we're working through it together slowly. So you've inspired our households and we hope that y'all are inspired too by this conversation and that your love for Quran grows baby steps, one line a day, guys, if that's what you can do. It's going to improve you. It's going to improve your kids. It's going to improve your households, inshallah. Jazakallah khair for joining us today. Assalamu alaikum, everyone. Assalamu alaikum. Thanks again for joining Zeba and Uzma and Momming While Muslim today. Please email us your thoughts or questions and follow us on Facebook and Instagram because this podcast was designed to cater your needs. Make sure you check out the show notes to find the links and resources for this episode. And remember to help a mama out and leave a review of the show, as well as to like it on your podcast app of choice, because that helps us grow. Tune in next week for another episode of Mommy While Muslim. Assalamu alaikum, everyone.